on this week's episode of Pod Help Idaho. Governor Little makes a big move and vetoes ballot initiatives. Medicaid sideboards passes the House and the Senate. And finally, this session is is not over. It's just going to keep going forever. Welcome, everyone, to the newest edition of Pod Help Idaho. I am Shem Hanks. And I'm Dan Hanks. And we are here to talk about the session that will never end and about Medicaid expansion because that is all there is to talk about right now. You know, this is the most boring podcast, but it's not (laughs) our fault. Yeah. We would definitely talk about other things. We would. We would like to talk about roads. We like to talk about education spending bills. But the top stories continue to be the top stories. Yeah, and at some point I want to talk about Pete Buttigieg, but once again... doing well with that last name. Oh, that was good, yeah. Yeah, Mayor Pete. Mayor Pete. Mayor Pete's having a moment. But no, we get to talk about the ballot initiative process and (sighs) Medicaid expansion Uh, for... uh, What is this, uh, our seventh or eighth podcast in a row about uh, Medicaid expansion and ballot initiatives? Okay. So for anyone who's not keeping track, we have a Republican supermajority in Idaho. That's the end of this podcast. Do we? (laughs) (laughs) I haven't noticed. (laughs) So we have a Republican supermajority in both the House and the Senate. And uh, sometimes uh, ballot initiatives pass in Idaho. And when they do, that supermajority is like, you ever seen the Dikemi Mutombo finger wave? They're like, no, no, smack, no, 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 smack down. And they, they try, to, try to shot block the ballot initiative process. So um, that has been sort of the theme of every single day. Like if you just like, if you're on Twitter all the time, like I know you are, we just basically watch this all day long. Like, ballot initiatives are going to get struck down in Idaho, and Medicaid's going to add sideboards, and we'll never ever have a ballot initiative ever again. Day after day after day. Yeah. But we we were going to make this podcast at the end of last week, and we we're like, there's no no new news. And then we're going to do it at the beginning of this week, and we're like, nope nope, still still not done. <laughs> and then we we're going to do it yesterday, and we we're like, no. And here we are. Finally. Finally. April 5th, and something happened. Right. We're no longer at speculation about one of these things, which we were going to do a podcast and give our hot takes and give our our predictions about what's going to happen. But frankly, we've been doing that for a really long time. (laughs) We've got, what, 12 episodes of speculation? Yeah, we finally needed something to happen one way or the other on this. So we weren't just speculating. And lo and behold, one of the bigger things was Senate Bill 1159. Senate Bill 1159's purpose was to restrict the ballot initiative process. And so we've talked about it at nauseum, and lo and behold, today, Governor Little made a big decision and made a big boy veto. Brad Little making a bold move. Now, I've predicted, maybe not on this podcast, but definitely on Facebook, I definitely thought Brad Little would sign the bill. I did as well. I figured that there the political pressure from... His, his base party. was going to be too much, and he would have to sign it into law. But something that I had said before 
was that Brad Little is the only person in this process that has to be elected by the entire state of Idaho. Mm -hmm. So he has a different type of pressure in that a ballot initiative like uh, Prop 2 was more popular than he was. He's the individual that has to be uh, held accountable to everyone, not just his district. So So this is about re-election. This is about not being a one-term governor. So in Brad Little's statement, here's some highlights. It says, I question the constitutional sufficiency of the bills and the unintended consequences of their passage. Yeah, so do all of us. (laughs) (laughs) You might have mentioned that while they were writing the bill. (laughs) But... Um, I wanted to play the uh, liberal drinking game every time he used the word liberal in his statement. (laughs) Uh, He talks about rural Idaho and how he's living in rural Idaho and he thinks they should have more power, but he just, he, he makes a statement about what liberal judges being able to determine the initiative process, which he's not wrong. Whether or not they're liberal judges, I don't know, but I do know for sure this would get a challenge, and I actually think that after all of this, I wouldn't be surprised if even after he vetoes this, if you might see the current ballot initiative process get challenged in court. Mm -hmm. They put so much traction on this, and I think he's right that if they go too hard, it's going to make it too easy for the courts to overturn it, and that's really what he's looking at. Um, Which, by the way, the courts probably should review this particular law being our current ballot initiative process yeah and i one thing he says i agree with the goals and the vision of senate bill 1159 and house bill 296 which then he says idaho cannot become like california other two states that have adopted liberal initiative rules that result in excessive regulation and often conflicting laws so he agrees, again, he throws in this California, this liberal. I've said before that California is one of those states that has a lot of ballot initiatives. And it seems like it's too easy for such a large state, and so they just have a ton of them. And so they do a lot of legislation that way. Um, and I think I've always felt that it should be a strict enough standard. Um, so in, in that way, I agree but he's uh, kind of, you know, says the vision of those bills is to, to make it, you know, to reduce an excessive regulation. The vision of SB 1159 and HB 296 is to end ballot initiatives in Idaho because progressive people might run ballot initiatives that regular people like. And we know what that means. Weed smoking. Mm, smoking that ganja. He should have said, I'm signing this bill because I want to stop the weed smoking. <laughs> no good, good. <laughs> so he, uh, he's like, I'll just, I'll just veto that bill. So no problem. Hashtag no good, good. That should become <laughs> the new hashtag. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho, we didn't talk about well at least not yet uh the uh hb uh, 296 as the trailer bill which hasn't actually been vetoed yet i think it did 
Well, he says in this that he would veto oh, it. Oh, okay. In that it looks like it hasn't made it to his desk yet. Oh, I got it. But he's saying that he will be vetoing it. And so you were talking about using the words like California ballot initiative process, or I had said the word liberal quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Those words give him a cover. Mm-hmm. on his, his political flight. Right? Yeah. yeah. And so this is very thought out wording, very thought out phraseology mm-hmm. to make sure that he's not taken down by the majority of statewide voters that would have to elect him as well as to help quell maybe some people who would not want him to win from the hard right in a primary. Right. And at his, the, the core reason is totally sound, that this isn't constitutional. And what he should say is, this isn't constitutional, and it's going to cost Idaho a lot of money. A lot of money. I don't know why he doesn't lead with that. Yeah. He leads with, it's unconstitutional, and it's liberal judges. What happened to fiscal conservatism? This is just going to cost Idaho a lot of money. I think he can't say that, because in the future, he's going to be signing some unconstitutional bills, probably later next week. Yeah. And we know that the governor's office got thousands of calls and emails and texts. Were they real calls or were they fake? So that's where I was going with it. So then Senator Souza, Senator Mary Souza. Hates a patchwork. Of Coeur d'Alene, the patchwork hater herself. Uh, So she comes out and says those were all robocalls. Now. All of them. You had talked last week when... Whenever it was, we did our last podcast that uh, you had seen that a person had called and uh, the individual on the other line just said, are you in the veto or not veto column? And right. gave the check mark. So I called in. I, I wanted to, to see what was oh, up. Oh, nice. Get so, some validation. Yeah. So I made the call and I said, would you please add me to the veto column? And she said... Yes, and that was our conversation. So you could have done that all day long. All day long. And so I think that was my greater issue with those numbers is I really like numbers, and I think numbers should mean something. Yeah. And when they're inflated numbers, and so Senator Sousa was going out there on the extreme in right. saying that they're all robocalls. Right. But she was on an interesting track where the numbers were inflated because I would see people being like, oh, I called three times today or I've called every day for the last week. So do you think Brad Little wanted to show an inflated call count? No, I think that that once again covers his hindquarters when he vetoes this bill. I went with the majority. Almost everyone went called Mm -hmm. in for veto. I allowed people to do that as much as they wanted. Now, technically... To be fair, he allowed people to call in for both sides in that same way. Mm-hmm. So in the, you know, you know, voting, you know, <laughs> call, call little early and frequently, um, you, you know, you could have done that from the left or the right. Yeah. So Senator Souza hates patchworks. Oh, more than anything. And so. I don't know what happened to you in your child, Mary. But the patchwork is the worst kind of thing. (laughs) So Mary Souza is also one of the main proponents of sideboards. Oh, sideboard. Like, 
Like, uh, there's a regular table, and you pull out a sideboard out of that table. I more think like a sidecar, like you have a motorcycle, and then the little oh. thing on the side that you can just kind of hang out in. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, that's what is <laughs> a patchwork a of a motorcycle. That's what that is. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> so, so anyway, Senator Sousa is uh, pushing for sideboards, which looks like it passed the uh, Senate today, the amended bill. Yes, this was a disaster. I heard it uh, likened to the Frankenstein bill. Yeah, they call it the Frankenstein bill. So, eh, let's just see if I can get the facts straight. The House passes a sideboards bill. The Senate keeps their sideboards bill in committee and then something happens and something else happens it bounces back and forth and the senate basically ends up with a bill that is the same bill that was in committee that they didn't allow i think chairman of that committee was martin and he wouldn't let it go to the floor. And they end up getting basically the same bill around the, the, the committee. And uh, really bizarre legislating process. And this has gone on for what, like two weeks of just bouncing yeah. these things back and forth. And it has been crazy to watch how many times they have to amend and change and adapt. And at the same time, remember, we just found out, what, two weeks ago, week and a half ago, that uh, work requirements were found unconstitutional. Mm. So we are looking right down the barrel of a very unconstitutional bill as ruled on last week. Yeah. And everybody was like, well, that'll be that, the, uh, the Senate committee held the bill things didn't move forward and they were like nope we're not going home we're not going to leave this we're going to do whatever we have to do to get this done and that's the hardest part about this is last week a federal judge said yeah those whole work requirement things yeah that that's against the law and the members of the idaho state legislature once again as always are like Hold, my, Hold beer. my beer. Hold my beer, man. Yeah. He said those are unconstitutional in some other state. I don't know about the Constitution. We it's... got tens of millions of dollars in the Constitutional Defense, uh, defense Fund. We're going to challenge <laughs> yeah. that every chance we get. We're going to take out our Constitution at all costs. You know why? Because we're constitutionalists. Yeah, and so the Democrats in the Senate uh, during this Frankenstein bill hearing are standing up there articulating their debate over why sideboards are just the worst and there are some photos out there oh man of, they should like falling asleep on yeah, the job out there of members of the senate gop asleep texting playing solitaire playing solitaire <laughs> i guess that's what they're doing then again you and i were once there and i'm oh, pretty man. sure we saw senator bob nonini playing candy crush oh definitely when... candy crush i think he's good at it too yeah. he has a lot of time on his he hands these sessions are long days you have to ignore a lot of people during the day yep 
So, anywho, I expect that uh, this bill will go to the governor's office and he will have to pass it because he just vetoed a bill that was yep. strongly supported by his GOP base. Yep. Now he has to save some face and probably pass this where it will apparently, most likely, get struck down in federal court. It has so many different problems with the bill. This is what kind of Democrats keep trying to point out. And some of the reasonable Republicans, especially in the Senate, are like, you know, we don't have waivers for the federal government to allow some of the things we're putting in. It was recently unconstitutional. There's all these question marks. It certainly adds to our budget. You know, another looks like about $4 million onto the budget to give less health care, $4 million to give less health care. So it's, uh, you know, such a bad bill. It was such a poor process. And you're right. I think Governor Little, having vetoed the ballot initiative, Medicaid sideboards, and work requirements are popular. Mm. So Democrats may not like to hear that, but even the group uh, Idahoans for Healthcare, they really pitched Proposition 2 as a uh, as for uh, the working poor, you know, for basically people who are holding jobs that can't get health care. And basically that's right. Um, so Medicaid expansion was really designed, sold, and pitched by the same Reclaim Idaho group and Idahoans for health care. It, it was pitched as for workers. And that's right. However, it doesn't mean that there couldn't be some people that are already on Medicaid that aren't working, that have waivers. And what this will do is take a stab at people who are already on Medicaid and maybe some people who would get expanded who now you know have to ensure that they maintain work to be able to do that. There's a lot of great arguments against the uh, the 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 work requirements, but there it is popular. People think if you're on Medicaid, we'd like you to be paying into taxes at the same time. Yeah, that's a part of uh, the Medicaid expansion was for people at 100 percent of the poverty line to 133 percent of the poverty line, aka people who are working. Yeah, people who are working. Yeah. So. It's a little interesting. I've seen some GOP posts where they're challenging groups like Reclaim who are attacking work requirements. And there are really problems with work requirements. However, they sort of point out ironically that basically Reclaim Idaho and Idahoans for Healthcare said this is all about workers. Now, we know what the Republicans really want to do here is they're trying to get a win in the face of a loss. So they see it as a loss that Medicaid expansion went forward because they've been shooting this down for almost a decade now. Yeah. So, I mean, they've been, they're good at shooting down Medicaid expansion, which is also very popular. So here's the thing. What if Idaho's GOP five years ago would have said, hey, we want to expand Medicaid, but we want to do it with work requirement restrictions? You know what? I bet most people on the left in Idaho would have been like, you know what? We can take that deal. Mm. But since they had to do all the work to get Proposition 2 on the ballot, to get Medicaid expansion going through, 
now it's like oh yeah so we're uh now we're going to do that thing that we would have done five years ago if we would have put all that together yeah and so right before we were about to start this podcast we had some breaking news come in breaking news in that is that going to be our breaking news sound yeah we need better sound effects yeah that would be good yeah right now it's just (laughs) that was the only one we've used so far all right well uh Tomorrow morning, the House <laughs> State Affairs Committee is hearing. Is it uh, tomorrow morning? Yep, tomorrow. Oh, oh no, no, not tomorrow. I think it's Monday. Monday, Monday April. They were going to sign die like yesterday. I forget that today is Friday, and well, TGIF, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, so Monday morning at 11 a.m. Mountain Time, we have. Uh, hearing in the house state affairs committee about a new voter initiative yep yeah and a new ballot initiative we don't have any clue what it's about but what it looks like is since governor little just vetoed their last ballot initiative bill maybe they're just going to make another one and pass it and i'm just wondering are there any adults on the GOP side that's going to stop and be like, okay, we did what we do, and now we're done. We tried. We're, we'll be back, and we'll get this done next year. That's what they normally do. This is They are really intense about this. And I think I might have said this last week. One of the intriguing things about both the ballot initiative and the Medicaid sideboards is the, the supermajority Republican Party, they don't pass many complicated bills. They don't have to roll out many systems, many procedures, because basically they believe in simple, limited government, and they run on that. And to be fair, they're kind of like simple people that just want simple solutions. And basically, usually they just pass bills that restrict people's rights, <laughs> or especially of cities, right? Like just, yeah. what what bill would you like? I don't know. What does the city want to do? Well, let's, they can't do that. And they pass a bill, and then everybody's happy. Um these are complicated bills. How do you restrict a ballot initiative and keep it constitutional? They don't know. <laughs> how do you make it, since Medicaid is passed, Medicaid expansion is passed, how do you make it harder or more difficult or make it look like it didn't pass? Well, that's a, that's super tough. That's hard to figure out. And they're, they've been doing it this whole session, and they're just still just grasping at straws. It's really tough. Yep, and not only that, I mean, I feel like we've talked about this every week for the last month, too, (laughs) is that they're breaking their own rules by even trying to propose a new bill right now, by even trying to get different... It's way past their date, everything. Yeah, so they don't even care about their own rules at the moment. My theory would be that this ballot initiative bill that we know nothing about and we'll find out on monday they just leave the committee everyone else goes home they just leave the committee to show up like no signed i yeah right (laughs) uh i expect that it'll be something that is less restrictive than the trailer uh bill and that they'll just keep backing it off a little bit to see if they can just annoy the governor into signing it. Maybe make it exactly how it is now, but make it 10%. Yeah. Like make it the exact same number of legislative districts, but just 
raise the bar from 6% to 10%, which still wouldn't have gotten Proposition 2 passed. So just just go for a higher threshold. And maybe from 18 legislative districts to do a little bit more than a simple majority in like 20. I think the interesting thing is, why don't they just put a higher threshold on it to pass at the ballot box? Yeah, that's fair. Why don't they go at it that direction? They keep going at it in this tricky way. Why don't they say it has to hit 55% or 60%? They set rules like that around election all the time for things like you know bonds and levies and all these different things. Some things are plus one. Things, some things are 51%. What is it? A bond is like 66% or something? Yeah, two-thirds. So I can't figure out. That seems like way simpler. These guys hate complicated legislation. I would just be like, take it out at the general election. Yeah, if it passes by two-thirds, we'll Your thing <laughs> create forward. a nightmare with sideboards and different other things with it. Yeah, and they'll just be like, yeah, you, it only takes 30,000 votes to get it on the on the ballot, but then it has to pass with two-thirds majority. Good luck, guys! <laughs> and basically be like, hmm, well, that might hold up constitutionally. I don't know. That, yeah. might, that might be pretty good. Because we already have that on the books in a lot of different other areas. But then again, we shouldn't be giving them ideas. But we, <laughs> we also know that the <laughs> House and Senate show. GOP are religious listeners of Pod Help Idaho. They subscribe. They follow. They're great people. <laughs> this is looking at you, Mary Souza. We Mary. know this is your favorite show. Patchwork. We love patchworks here. We love them. It's our favorite thing. <laughs> Um, so Medicaid, crazy Which, town. If Medicaid expansion, we get some resolution about it. I am so excited to release part three of our Medicaid expansion podcast <laughs> series. So this, this might tease your Medicaid part three. Uh, yeah. But, um, also in the news, not really the news. I just see it on Twitter, but it's regularly repeated by the GOP on Twitter, uh, the Idaho GOP, talking about the funding sources of Reclaim Idaho. And it's been interesting because you've sort of always been frank about, like, even as you're covering Reclaim, this is how much went into the opposition. This is how much went towards passing Medicaid expansion. And you've always been really straight up about that. Um, and it's really interesting that only now the Republican Party is attacking the funding sources of, of Reclaim Idaho and Medicaid expansion. It's pretty, it's been entertaining to watch this week. Yeah, I, I don't want to get too much into it because it will uh, ruin Medicaid expansion part three. <laughs> part three. No, but... Yeah, to get something on the ballot, it costs money. Yeah, it's expensive. To get something to pass costs more money. Yep. Reclaim Idaho and Idahoans for Healthcare certainly had to spend money. Yep. They spent far more money than Brent Regan almost single-handedly funding the opposition himself. Right. Uh, but on a relative scale, they were still far less than Prop 1, both the support and opposition. Right. But, there was a ton of money dropped. In, I mean, 
That's a more interesting story, GOP. Look at all that Prop 1 money. Yeah, on both on, sides. On so both was, sides. What was the what, sources of that stuff? That's very interesting. Yeah, it was in that 6 to $7 million range for both of them. Yeah, they don't end up being a story because it doesn't make it to, uh, doesn't pass, doesn't become a bill. Yeah. But that would, that would be such an interesting scenario if both would have passed. That was my prediction at the time. Got it wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, but it would be really interesting to see how these both played out. I actually think it might be helping Proposition 2 if Prop 1 had passed. Yeah. Yeah, and so with Reclaim, not as much money flowed into Reclaim as you might think. Not that much money at all. Uh, On a relative scale, once again, when you think about statewide candidates, Paulette and Brad Little both spent over a million dollars. Yep. Uh, and Governor Otter probably still has what four million dollars in his war <laughs> yeah, chest sure. or something. Walt Minnick still might have four million dollars yeah, in his war that, chest. That's true. We should call Walt. <laughs> but the big money came from or was with Idahoans for Healthcare, which was uh, a true yes campaign for Prop Two, mm-hmm. which uh, they got almost to that two million dollar mark but yep even then i remember very early on that uh i was sitting with luke and we were talking with some political people luke mayville that is uh not luke malik uh luke mayville <laughs> uh luke malik later on <laughs> did come on for proposition two yeah yeah uh and i remember uh, these political individuals who uh, pretty knowledgeable people said that a ballot initiative would cost about $3 million. And yep. clearly Luke Mayville and myself both have the same type of voice, but uh, <laughs> fake news deep and professorial. And Luke says in this deep professorial voice, yeah, we're not going to raise $3 million. <laughs> and, <laughs> But they did were able to raise money and get a lot of media, a lot of attention, a lot of people committing on that grassroots level, which gets buy-in, which gets people to talk to other people that they know, which gets greater buy-in. And so that's where I feel like a lot of the reclaim and Idahoans for Healthcare success came in was their ability to get people to buy in. Not literally buying in. (laughs) So I think that Reclaim Idaho was successful not because of the money at all. I think it was an idea whose time had come. And this had actually been a a hot issue in Idaho for a long time. Had high support. Governor Otter had pushed for it, for expansion. There had been all these over and over... um, work groups and studies that they kept paying for and they all came back the same oh this would be good for idaho financially and good for idaho's health um so it just came back positive time and time again so reclaim idaho the group of people associated with it basically hit on an idea that time had come and i don't think it was much about the money at all in the same way that we see tons of money go into prop one but it was not an important idea now, you've said it over and over. Prop 1 showed us how easy, with the right amount of money, you can get a ballot initiative on the ballot. I think 
None of this has to do with anything to do with Medicaid. This is not a revenge on Medicaid. This is about stopping legalized marijuana. Legalized marijuana groups have a lot of money. They also have fantastic messaging, which is take the money, put it into schools. Democrats are like, yes, great. They also have great messaging for Republicans. Don't let the government control you. Republicans are like, fantastic, great. I'd like to smoke weed. Every state around us has legalized some, some form of marijuana, some form of legalized marijuana. So everyone in Idaho is able to drive to Oregon and Washington and get recreational marijuana anyway. So that looks like it'll probably be on the ballot or it'll probably be a ballot initiative that moves forward the cycle. Like that's probably going to happen. And there's probably big money groups and they don't want to be in a situation that they're in now where they have to sit there and approve that bill that it gets signed into law by little and whatever funding mechanism ways that they tax it they're going to have to work on that and they don't want it and and that's that's probably what's going to happen they're probably like right on they got to do anything they can to make sure that legalized marijuana doesn't come across their desk because they can't handle it because for whatever reason they have to hate that even though they're Republicans, which should be, you know, let people do what they want. Their values are coming into contrast with reality. Or also what's known as standard. <laughs> uh, it's the crooked ruler. I use my ruler and it says freedom. And then someone else is like, how's that freedom ruler work on this legalized marijuana? And they're like, freedom ruler bends towards bad <laughs> naughty you're a naughty kid with your marijuana now let's make this clear to our listeners out there children neither myself nor shem smoke marijuana no for whatever reason we're we're not into marijuana mm. however and as people who work in mental health we actually have some conflicted ideas about the way that it can impact people's mental health we just think it's a health care issue not a legal issue yeah and so the problem is this is going to pass and it is going to move forward well but i just think in idaho it's going to happen on a federal level because i do think brad little would veto it and it would be really unpopular Mm. and he doesn't want to do that so it was really bold of him to strike down this ballot initiative um but I think he saw the writing the wall that was just going to be dictated by the courts anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I've given all my hot takes that I got on Medicaid expansion, on you're doing, ballot initiatives. You're doing well with Mayor Pete. Oh, yeah, Buttigieg. That guy is uh, that guy's a dark horse, but he's moving up. Yeah, moving on up. Nothing can stop him. <laughs> Anything else we have to cover here on april 5th as the legislative session continues on for you know i don't know where we're at two or three weeks beyond when it was initially expected to close yeah well one thing is that uh last time we were together we gave our final four predictions oh and we we did not do well it didn't go well (laughs) no it was a depressing week of uh basketball last weekend but uh we're getting over it yeah so by the time uh we do a podcast again we're going to have a national champion 
Do you have a prediction for the national uh, champion? I'm going to go with Virginia. Uh. I feel like um, it makes such a great story. Um, out first, first number one to lose to uh, a 16 and then come back and win it all the next year. I think that's the best storyline currently. Mm. Yeah, I'm going to say Auburn. Because oh, I think oh, their best story that yeah, they have the great, best storyline story because they lost their best players. Yeah, so. I feel like one of those storylines impacts the game more than the <laughs> other. <laughs> Maybe it's the Ewing theory where uh, you know best player goes down, the team gets better. <laughs> okay, well, um, <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, <laughs> um, and you know. People here on the Inland Northwest remember Bennett from out here at, at Wazoo. Mm. We thought that was, you know, I think a lot of people really liked him as a coach out this way. Um, so be a good story. It's still kind of an ACC school going for a win. So mm. it's not that exciting. But here we go. Any hot takes for next week? What's going to happen? What? Are we going to be signed I? By uh. next Thursday, when we make our pod next Thursday, are we going to be signed I? Yes, no. No. I also think we won't be done with the legislative cycle. So we'll keep making podcasts about the legislative session, and we will keep talking about Medicaid sideboards. We'll keep talking about ballot initiatives. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll talk to you all next week. Bye.